0: My guest today is Laura Packard. Laura is a stage four cancer survivor, a national co-chair of healthcare voter, and an advocate for effective and affordable health care for everyone. Dear President Obama, I don't yet qualify for Medicare. Cobra is about to run out. I am desperate. Don't know what to do. Just moments ago, senators approved that huge health care reform bill. Now it's in court because Obamacare is no good. Today, we're in the middle of the worst global health crisis in living memory. And uh, Donald Trump will file in the Supreme Court today an attempt to strip away health care coverage from tens of millions of families in the United States.
1: Hi, I'm Laura Packard, and I'm passionate about making health care affordable and accessible to everyone, Sorry, not sorry.
0: Laura, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. I want to get to plans for the Biden administration. But first, I want to hear about you and your story. You are a stage four cancer survivor. Can you tell us a little bit about your diagnosis, what the experience was like for you and how you're doing now? Sure. Well, about four years ago now, I was a healthy
1: 40-year-old woman with a nagging cough And I walked into a doctor's office and got a stage four cancer diagnosis. So that changed my life in an instant. And then I spent the rest of 2017 getting chemotherapy every other week. and That was for six months. And then I did a month of radiation. And then at the beginning of 2018, they declared me in remission. But 2017 wasn't just about fighting cancer because the day after my first chemotherapy session, where I was on my couch trying to figure out what parts of me were going to start breaking, that's when Republicans in the U.S. House voted to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, which was paying for the care that was keeping me alive.
0: So that was your health insurance when you were sick? Mm -hmm.
1: I'm a small business owner, and so I've had insurance through the Affordable Care Act for the past several years.
0: And when you say that your life was changed in that moment in 2017, for those of us who haven't suffered through cancer and know what that's like, not only physically, but mentally, can you just describe a little bit about just who you were before this diagnosis and how it changed your life and who you are now?
1: Well, as you may have learned through going through COVID, there is a before you and there is an after you, and things aren't always the same. I'm incredibly fortunate in that I am mostly back to where I was before, but now I'm so aware that our bodies are fragile and they can break at any time, and nobody's guaranteed good health. You're lucky if you have it and you could lose it at any
0: time. It's such a crazy thing to think about that that was only four years ago. I mean, that's how I was introduced to who you were. But I want to talk a little bit just about if you did not have insurance during that time, what would the financial toll of your treatment have been like well i
1: added up all the bills from my insurance company a while ago and it came out to over half a million dollars i didn't have that money most people don't have the money to pay for one accident they don't have five hundred dollars in their bank account for a surprise bill so hundreds of thousands of dollars i can't even
0: fathom I guess I would have had GoFundMes. Well, that's what people have to do now, which is the craziest thing ever, that there are GoFundMes to help people pay for medical bills. It doesn't seem right at all. Right. And then you look at
1: how many billions of dollars we spend on the military and defense, and we can't even protect the capital from an invasion. It's like, where
0: did that money go? Right, exactly. And I just think it goes to really how our priorities are so skewed in this country and how big corporations and lobbyists have really done us all a disservice. For my listeners who don't know. Tell them a little bit about the Affordable Care Act, the ACA, and why it's so important. Well, the Affordable Care
1: Act was signed into law at the beginning of 2010. And I know this because the AFL-CIO sent me to Arkansas in 2009. So I was on the ground talking to people and helping to get the law passed in the first place, never expecting that many years later, it would save my own life. And the law itself has several pieces. And most people may, be familiar with being able to keep your kids on your health insurance until they turn 26. And basic preventative care, like a checkup, a mammogram, all of that is covered in your insurance where it didn't used to be. And birth control is covered in your insurance too. And I remember in my 20s having to pay out of pocket because it was not covered. And so things like that, whether you have a policy through the Affordable Care Act or not, it benefits you. And they got rid of annual and lifetime limits where insurance companies would just stop paying. So $773,000 by the time he was two and a half months old. So we figure probably by three, three and a half months, he hit a million.
0: Like many insurance plans, Timmy's policy had a clause that caps how much the insurance company will pay over his lifetime. This is called a lifetime maximum. Timmy's lifetime maximum was $1 million, which he hit within just a few months in the NICU. According to his policy, after he hit a million dollars, he would be on his own. But something happened just six days before Timmy was born that would dramatically affect him and his parents' lives. The
1: Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act goes into effect today. The new health care reform bill kicks in today. Health insurers can no longer impose lifetime limits or deny children with pre-existing conditions. Hopefully the people listening will never have to go through an extremely expensive medical event to figure that out. But it has been such a lifesaver for when something terrible does happen.
0: I think we're all so bombarded with misinformation all the time, really about every issue, and it's so dangerous for our country. But what do you say, because often we hear, well, my insurance went up when the ACA took effect. What do you say to the people who claim the cost of their insurance went up when the ACA took effect? It probably did because insurance rates increase every single year. (laughs) For as long
1: as I have been having an employer or having my own insurance, every year I've had to pay more. And so I've been looking at medical costs since a few decades now. And your employer charges you a little more, they offer you a little less, or if you pay for your own health insurance, every year it increases. So First of all, <laughs> until we fix a lot of things in our healthcare system, healthcare costs go up every year. And second, people may have seen costs increase because they no longer had a junk plan. And a junk plan may be really cheap, but it doesn't actually cover anything when you need it. So they may have gotten better quality health insurance, and that's why it costs more. But it isn't just that insurance costs always increase and their quality got better. But in some states, some red states, they deliberately chose not to expand Medicaid. So for example, Florida, Texas, North Carolina, Georgia, there are people that make too much money to get Medicaid, but not enough money to get subsidies on the exchange market. And so that is a choice that Republican legislatures made to not not offer that support for people that are really right
0: around the poverty line which the poverty line unfortunately so many people are living either at or under. So now we're at this weird crossroads, right? I mean, first there is basically a lawsuit to kill the ACA pending before the Supreme Court. But second, we have a new administration who has committed to expanding the ACA. I guess first let's talk about the court case. Can you tell everybody where does it stand and what's at stake? Well, this court case has been going on for a few years now. It's
1: one of the reasons why I moved to Colorado at the beginning of 2019 is because I knew that there was this threat. And so I needed to live in a state that had good state level protections in case the federal protections went away. So this court case has been working its way through the original court and appeals and all the way to the Supreme Court for years now. And if they succeed, it will dismantle possibly the entire Affordable Care Act. Hypothetically, if the Supreme Court were to repeal the ACA in full, who would take a hit? Here's a look at some of the numbers. As many as 133 million people could lose protections for a pre-existing condition. Roughly 11 million Americans covered through the ACA exchanges could lose their insurance. About 12 million adults covered through state-based Medicaid expansion could also lose coverage. And roughly 2 million young adults under 26 on their parents' insurance could be kicked off the plan. The verdict isn't going to come down until this spring or summer, probably. So expect a ruling
0: in May or June. And we don't know how it's going to go. What do you think is going to happen, Laura?
1: Well, the legal experts seem to think that the case itself is bunk, but that doesn't mean that the Supreme Court won't rule otherwise. However, now that we have control of the Senate, they could push through a fix. So what this court case is based on is saying that the Affordable Care Act is unconstitutional because when they wrote the law, there was a mandate that you had to get insurance. And so once they took that mandate away and got rid of it, that meant the whole law is now unconstitutional. So what Congress could do is pass a law to make the mandate $1, and then the whole reasoning behind the court case would go away. Families have a lot going on.
0: So let's just assume that the ACA stands, right? And we know that the Biden administration has announced that it intends to expand on it. Can you walk us through their plans as of right now?
1: Well, first of all, there's some great healthcare news so far in that as a part of the budget deal at the end of the year, so just a few weeks ago, they passed a rule that would stop surprise medical bills, which is when your insurance company says that your doctor or the hospital that you got help from was out of network and they weren't going to cover it. So that is good news. And that also took years to happen. So that's thing number one. Thing number two is that Biden has a great healthcare team that he's put forward, including Javier Becerra of California. And so he's putting it into place, people that are experts in what they're doing and that will hit the ground running and work on making healthcare more available for everybody. But right now, I mean, it's going to start off in a rebuilding phase, ending all the sabotage that the Trump administration did on healthcare. I hope that one of the first things the Biden administration does is do a special enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act.
0: I don't get this administration, the Trump administration, uh, who continues want to screw with people signing up for the Affordable Care Act. Now, we might remember uh, what happened before uh, where they said they were going to stop advertising, stop pushing it out. Now, the Trump administration plans for the to have maintenance downtime for healthcare.gov during the period when people actually get to sign up.
1: In a lot of states, you couldn't register for health insurance after December 15th. So opening that back up since we're in a pandemic and, you know, maybe people didn't get their ducks in a row in time, but just giving people the option to uh, still enroll in health insurance. That is an easy thing that he could do right
0: away. Before we move past that, let's explain to everybody what Trump did to try to sabotage open enrollment when you pay your policy part of the money goes
1: towards a fund for marketing to help spread the word and let people know about the ACA and that you can get cheaper affordable health insurance some small fraction of your policy goes towards that marketing budget and so what the Trump administration did was they cut the funding they still took the money but they didn't use it for the thing that it was supposed to be for that's one of the first things they did was gut the marketing for the affordable care act and so i'm involved with a group called Get America Covered that's tried to step in the breach to spread the word. But an independent group with limited funds can only go so far. And the government being on board with wanting people to get health insurance and spreading the word is gonna be night and day. Okay, so you were talking also about the other Biden plan? So special enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act. There is legislation in the House that would make Affordable Care Act policies more affordable, increasing the subsidies for people that make a little bit too much money to get help right now, but still could use help in paying for their insurance. And also the states that have refused to expand Medicaid that have left millions of people in this gap where they don't have any money, but they don't get any help, figuring out ways to incentivize incentivize those states to do something to help their people. Also, the House last time around passed a bill called H.R. 3 to lower the cost of prescription drugs to enable Medicare to actually negotiate these rates instead of just, you know, showering money on big pharma. And so hopefully that will go through and get signed into law. And Biden has also talked about a public option. I had the honor of speaking with President Biden at the Democratic National Convention a few months ago, and he promised to me that he would work on a public option. So I'm going to hopefully hold him to that. He keeps his promises. He's pretty
0: good about that. I want to talk about just for a second. I think we are speaking about this as though we're not even living through a pandemic. (laughs) So I want to just take a moment and ask you to reflect upon that all of these things are important anyway. But when you add the fact that we are living through a pandemic, what does the ACA mean At this time, how important is it? And I can't even imagine what people would do without the ACA right now when in the state of California alone, it's like one in five people that get tested, have a positive diagnosis. Right. Well, we live in
1: a time where it is not acceptable for anybody to not have good health insurance, that your health affects me and my health affects you. And my sister lives in New York and she worked off Broadway back office type stuff. She's not a star. She's in the back doing tickets, but she lost her job. And good luck finding a job in New York right now when there are millions of people that are looking. And so she is now eligible for healthcare help and she needs it because she's looking for work but doesn't have it
0: tidal wave of pandemic-related unemployment will reverberate in many different ways throughout the country for months, by possibly years to come. One way, as millions lose their jobs, they also lose their health care coverage. And for so many, there are no easy prospects of getting affordable insurance.
1: There are so many people in those positions that lost their job and need help, or maybe their job never had health insurance, and it's critical that they have the coverage they need right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've been hearing a lot about that we have to change the fact that health insurance is tied to people's employment, and I think that that is true. And I also, Laura, I don't think this is the last time we're going to go through a pandemic. I think the fact that deforestation has made creatures live closer to humans means that these diseases are easier to transmit to people. And so we really got to figure out what the move is, because this experience has shown us you got to have a plan. And you got to keep to that plan. And we're not only seeing how this recovery was botched, but also how the vaccine rollout has been botched to the extent that there's now new strains of this that are not resistant to the vaccine. It's just so much. And the thought that we have to fight for healthcare and that healthcare is not just a right in this country, I can't even wrap my head around it, especially when you think about how disease. It's just growing. And then when you double the fact that there are so many who are impoverished, so many who live in low-income communities that don't even live by a supermarket to get vegetables. They live in food deserts and they get a banana at the convenience store, but that's it. So all of these things, we are a very unhealthy nation. And I think that that's just going to get worse. And to not make health care available to people, I can't even fathom how bad this is going to get.
1: And as you pointed out, I think we've gotten lucky in that there hasn't been a really big worldwide pandemic that stopped everything like this since probably the 1918 flu. There have been smaller pandemics, there have been smaller flus and swine flu and so on, but nothing at this scale. But I think a lot of that is luck. And as you pointed out, deforestation, global warming is changing. Like Zika became more of a thing because mosquitoes, they're range in the places that they could live in broadened because of global warming. And so you're seeing pests like that spread their range. And I don't think we've even reckoned with all the effects that we're seeing
0: of our lack of doing something about the environment. Right. And there's a lot that has to do with migration. And the more populated areas are not going to get less populated. They think that the reason why Los Angeles County is as bad as it is is because we are so impoverished and that there are two-bedroom houses that a family of 10 is living in. And that just makes the spread so much more likely. So given all of that, given your experience, given everything that you've gone through personally, what you're watching right now unfold in our nation and what you know of the Biden plan, what do you think is the most important actions that the Biden administration can take? Well, the most important thing is to get this
1: pandemic under control right now, because everything else that you want to do from helping the economy and get people jobs again and build back better depends on getting this under control. And as you pointed out, the vaccine rollout has just been a mess, which maybe shouldn't be a surprise because every part of this pandemic and every part of the administration's response has been a mess. But still, here we are. There's just no guidance from the federal government government. And it's like Trump just took off early. He gave us two weeks notice and he doesn't care. So who's even running the store anymore? The Trump administration has not led any federal program. It's all been left to the states. And we're now we're in this dire situation. Where we're at three thousand uh, deaths per day and two hundred thousand new cases a day. And remember what that number really means. It's those are underestimates by a factor of four or five. Different states are just leaving
0: vaccines on the shelves or throwing away. It's just such a mess. Both of these vaccines, they have shelf lives. I have a 35-year-old friend that lives in Texas, no history of any health issues at all. White woman who is able to get the vaccine because they had to give them away because they had too much. They had mm-hmm. too many to just do the healthcare workers and the elderly. And then you go to California, where what you're seeing here is I can't even, it's so bad here. And we can't find a vaccine. I can't get my 75 year old parents who live in a condo with other neighbors everywhere. They are in that prime place that if they get this, it can be very dangerous. Can't find them a vaccine. I mean, my
1: mom is 70 and in Tennessee, and in her area, they were giving them out to 75 and over. So I think... They just started doing 70, so I'm really hopeful that my mom gets it soon. But I've contacted my doctors, and even as a cancer survivor, that I've had radiation to my chest, which can cause heart and lung problems. I've had chemotherapy, which can cause heart and lung problems. So I would be one of the people at risk, and maybe spring? Nobody knows. And is it safe for you to take? I think so. It seems to me so
0: far that people with allergic reactions should maybe be careful, but I have no allergies. So even though you've been through cancer or stage four, you've had all of that treatment, it's safe for you to take. Right. It seems like the thing to be concerned about is if you have allergies. And if
1: you don't have allergies, then you're probably good to go. But I am not anybody listening's. I'm not their doctor and they should absolutely check with their doctor.
0: You mentioned hope before, and I think that there is hope on the horizon. At least I have to believe that. We have a united democratic government for the first time in a really, really long time. Does this change the scope of what we can potentially accomplish? I think so, because a lot of the things that we need to do, like
1: doing something about prescription drug costs, like shoring up the Affordable Care Act and making health care more available to everybody, and maybe hopefully passing a public option to get some competition to the insurance companies, all those things would have been off the table because you can can see
0: the house has passed all the bills and the senate does nothing with them so we needed to get mitch out What do you think it says about us as a nation that we don't have universal health care access? Some of it is just historically how our system grew up with
1: strong unions that fought for health care for their members. And so it just sort of grew up organically based around employment. But that is a dumb way of doing things. And if we were starting from scratch, there are way better ways to do it. It's just it's always hard to start from scratch. (laughs) So we just
0: keep building on additions to this ugly looking house. Right. Gosh, that's so true. But the foundation of what that house is still stands. I want to give you an opportunity because you and I are both co-chairs of Healthcare Voter. And I would love for you to just talk a little bit about your work with them and what it means to you to be a part of that initiative. Well, I have been a part of Healthcare Voter since
1: the beginning of 2018. And it's given me the opportunity to speak out about my situation and hold people accountable and go all over the country. And talk about healthcare. So it's been a great few years now. And I'm excited to see what it looks like in 2021 because for the past few years, it's been about fighting to keep a hold of what little we have. And
0: now we can finally look at bringing more healthcare to people. Right. The other thing that I think is so special about Healthcare Voter is that they were really. I think very smart in the fact, like we were talking about, how healthcare is such a personal thing and that people vote based on it. We saw it in the Georgia runoff. The top three issues for that election was healthcare. So to be able to say, you know, Through Healthcare Voter, we see you. We know that this is an issue that's important to you. And if the candidates are ignoring you, here's the information that you need to have to know about these candidates and be an educated healthcare voter. It was very smart what they did. And it was at a time when, even though we were dealing with the threat of having the ACA taken away, but more so than that, it was really looking at the issues and what was important to voters. And healthcare is really important to voters. It's always in the top three, and everyone always acts surprised about it. People actually want healthcare. It's like, yeah, of
1: course. In Georgia, I had the opportunity in my work with Be a Hero Pack. They worked with the National Nurses Union to do some healthcare ads in the suburban Georgia area with nurses, even Republican nurses talking about the importance of healthcare. And then with Hero Action, we worked with New Georgia Project and Mihente to share the stories of people of color and their healthcare needs. And in Georgia, every vote counted.
0: Of course, Be a Hero and the Hero Pack are Adi Barkin's organization, who is a dear friend of both of ours. For those of you who don't know, Adi is dealing with ALS, and the ACA has allowed him to get the care that he needs, the equipment that he needs. ALS is such a scary, horrible, horrible disease, as is Cancer. I mean, all of these diseases are so devastating because they don't really allow for a lot of grace. And people like Adi and people like you who are able to overcome such physical hardships to come out of it in a place of not only with grace, but to be of service to this country and to others who are struggling is such a gift. So thank you so much. And you're involved in so many things. How can my listeners support all of your work? Tell everyone where to find you on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Normally, I would just send people to... The website of the one organization that someone's involved in. But you are involved in all of these. So how can people support your work? Well, I work with a whole bunch
1: of different healthcare organizations, as you mentioned. So maybe the easiest way is to follow me on Twitter, L Packard, L-P-A-C-K-A-R-D. And I also have a Facebook page and an Instagram account, Laura Packard Activist, on those two sites. And so I wear many different healthcare hats But I'm always working to make sure that everybody has health care.
0: And you always do it with a smile. And I so appreciate you, Laura. Thank you. I think my last question is the question that I always end my episodes with because it's important to, I think, bring it back to a place of hope. So what gives you hope? Well, I'll tell you exactly what gives me hope. Donald Trump
1: doesn't have a Twitter account anymore, but yeah, I do. That is
0: ho- that is hopeful. You are right. I'm like not convinced that he's not lurking under some other <laughs> handle. Like it's almost too good to be true. Not that we haven't earned it, by the way. Like this should have happened years ago? Oh, for sure. Donald Trump
1: blocked me in September of 2017, and it took a year for
0: the law to force him to unblock me. (laughs) That's right. You were like one of the first that was blocked. You were blocked by Donald Trump. Way to go. That's quite an achievement. That's pretty incredible. You're incredible, and you give me hope. I appreciate you so much, and thank you for being a part of the podcast.
1: Your life can be saved when you have health insurance. In 2016, my son was diagnosed with a congenital heart defect. At 17 years old, uh, he had to have open heart surgery. As a result of the ACA, he was able to follow up with his doctors, and I didn't have to worry about out of, out of
0: pocket pay. Healthcare. Should be a right, not a privilege, in America. Barack and I spent an awful lot of time just getting Obamacare passed. It significantly changed the lives of an awful lot of people. Healthcare is a human right. How is that difficult for everyone to understand? I seriously do not get how someone can think ensuring access to guns is a universal right, but not access to healthcare. It's just plain stupid. And I hate that word. That's the S word in this house. I hate the word stupid, but this is just plain stupid. It requires a level of cognitive dissonance that shouldn't be possible in humans. And yet, apparently it is. There are a number of priorities for this new administration, but this, the business of saving lives must be near the top. There are a lot of good ideas to get universal coverage. And I know that we're going to have a lot of lively debates over the best way to get there. But it has to start from the basic idea that we all have a right to affordable and effective health care. That poverty should not mean that we're forced to be sick. Rich people, people like me, should not be able to buy our way to the front of the line. That profiting off of illness or keeping people sick when you can't make a profit off of them... It is immoral. Jesus told us, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there. Our government needs to hear those words and heal the sick who are here. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our associate producer is Ben Jackson. Editing and engineering by Natasha Jacobs and music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bolliari. That's my boy. Please subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry.